Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we'll be discussing England fans abroad in an episode entitled Misplaced Masculinity, Noisy Minority or Misunderstood. Back in October of 2019, the England national team won 6-0 in a Euro 2020 qualifier away to Bulgaria in Sofia. During the match, the black members of the England side, including Raheem Sterling, Tyrone Mings and Marcus Rashford, were subject to a torrent of abuse from the home crowd. Following the match, as expected, there was a significant backlash on the Bulgarians by the wider footballing community. The Bulgarians were ultimately punished with a one-match ban and a €75,000 fine. The Friday night preceding the disturbing events in Bulgaria, England were in Prague, where they were beaten 2-1 by the Czech Republic. The days that preceded that evening were dominated by images of England fans behaving in a way more akin to the type of footage we associate with the 1980s. They were troubling scenes to see, as England fans took over the streets of Prague, decorated in St George's flags, and proceeded to terrorise the locals with their own brand of football hooliganism. On the Monday evening that followed the two events, Guardian journalist Barney Roney wrote an article with the headline England right to call out racism, but noisy minority is sending a different message. This was a topic that interested us greatly. Was the behaviour we see of England fans abroad a reflection of a growing issue? How much of it was wrapped up in misplaced perceptions of masculinity? And what impact was it having on the enjoyment of other supporters? Ahead of the England games against San Marino, Albania and Poland, and in this unique situation with no supporters, we felt it was the perfect opportunity to discuss this topic. So, Ryan and I called up Barney Roney to ask him a few questions. So, probably the easiest place to start, Barney, when we, when we kind of talk about um, England fans, when we're, when we're sort of referencing the, the article that you, that you wrote in 2019, and we're referring to some of the issues that you sort of outlined in that article. Sort of in, in reality, how many people do you think that, that we're talking about is it still is it a small minority or is it quite a lot of people or that's an interesting question in terms of numbers because um i think that the days where there was a kind of hardcore of self-appointed sort of leaders of a football hooligan group i mean that's sort of from the from the 70s and 80s isn't it what, what we saw really interestingly i think uh, um the nations league um was a uh, and before that, actually, I'd go back to when England played Germany in Dortmund um, about three years ago, four years ago, is you, you get these um, sort of weekenders. It's like a weekend jolly. And there's a lot of kids who are surprisingly young and they're dressed in a way that they perhaps 
wouldn't normally dress. It's almost like a bit of a tribute to kind of hooli culture, more um, like ironic hooligans. They're wearing kind of mod gear and stuff that maybe their older brothers or or their uncle wore, you know, in the 80s. And they go on these trips uh, uh, and it's not even, I don't think they're necessarily drunk. It's not really a drinking culture. It's more of a, a sort of pills and powders culture, I think. And they're almost having a laugh while they're, they're acting in that kind of slightly threatening way. Uh, and they're, they're kind of doing it for the, for the buzz, for the thrill, which I suppose was always the case. But I think a lot of them get kind of dragged into it. I've got the impression as a kind of almost like an experience. So I don't, I don't think we're talking about huge gangs of people roaming the country wanting to fight like we had in the 70s. But there's definitely a sort of culture thing there, like a lads culture. And, and I think the numbers, are, they swell with tournaments. We, we might see it again. It's um, it's interesting, really, because when when you were talking about there, Bonnie, the thing I was thinking about was was bucket hats. I always feel like is a, is a good indicator of the of, of the type of thing, really, because I don't I feel like I, I I can't imagine in any other context you would wear a bucket hat other than fishing, which seems to be <laughs> like a really weird sort of Venn diagram um, between the yeah. type of people. And Stone Island jackets is probably the other one as well. It is weird. I, I was in um, in Lille when there was problems with England fans there in 2016 as well. And I remember walking down the street and seeing this familiar sight of people in that sort of pose, the arms out, you know, come on, like taunting the police. And you instinctively sort of walk around them a bit. You're a bit nervous, don't want to catch anyone's eye. And I sort of looked and I thought, well, hang on, the closer you got, the more you see it. It was actually quite young kids. I mean, they'll be older now, obviously, who didn't look like they'd really done this before <laughs> and it, it but they were they were being pretty frightening and they were smashing stuff and they you know, like a bit out of control it's almost a bit more scary when people are out of control because uh, i know that some hardened football hooligan in his 50s isn't going to bother with me whereas a bunch of kids who um aren't really sure what they're doing you know god knows what they're going to do uh, it was it was really quite different it's um so uh, a couple of friends and i went to Paris for the, the the Euros in 2016 and we were there for about five days and I remember we commented at the time that there was a really good atmosphere almost everywhere that we went and we went to uh, an island Sweden match and we went to really randomly uh, Switzerland against Romania and bumped into David Moyes while we were there that was a, <laughs> a really random experience but we um we just commented how nice everyone seemed to be interacting with one another, especially in the fan park and what have you. And the only time that it was different was around the England Wales game when it felt like a football match. That was what I remember feeling like that, right? This now it feels like an away day. It now feels like, whereas before it felt like some kind of nice kind of, I don't know, holiday gathering kind of thing where everyone was like a garden party. And then all of a sudden it just almost blinked and it was an away day. It was it was quite extraordinary, really. Mm. Yeah, well, that's um, <clears throat> English people abroad, isn't it? Yeah. There's that territorial thing, isn't there? That you're not just you're not there to enjoy it and to have a look and to, you know integrate into the culture or whatever. You're there to stake out a circle. Um, well, certainly, you know, obviously not everyone, but that still still seems to be part of the football culture that you are in some way taking the town, and and you're going to put your chairs in a circle. And, and it still happens. It's really odd to see, see people doing it. Yeah, I, it's, it is peculiar. It looks peculiar against what the other kind of countries fans seem to be doing as well. And and we, we've touched a couple of times there on the sort of 
around Euro 2016 and I think particularly in terms of the, the things that people saw on television and on social media and what have you was some of the clashes with Russia fans in, in Marseille um, ahead of the sort of opening game of the tournament. That was that was about two weeks before Brexit. How much do you think the sort of resurrection of this type of behaviour is, is linked to the Brexit vote and everything that came with it or is it not at all? I don't know. Um, I think at the time I felt that it was there was something shared uh, in in that uh, in that kind of parody of Englishness. Uh, people in Union Jack boxer shorts wandering around the the front at Marseille, and you know Bre- Brexit's uh, the, the Brexit vote was creeping up on us. Um, but I don't know. Looking back, I mean, I was in the stadium when that riot happened. Um, and it was really extraordinary. I tell you, there was a <clears throat> there was a huge bang, like a shot from a starter pistol, about thirty seconds before the Russian fans ran across. And at that point, they all gathered. It was pre-planned. There was a signal. Um, the whole half of that stadium gathered. There was no one in between them. Um, there was no security there. They just had half of the stand each. It was really weird. We were looking at it the whole time, saying, "That can't be right. That's ridiculous." Uh, and then they just charged at the end of it. And the England fans who were there, again, it's that thing of they were not, they were running away. They were jumping over walls. They were not up for a fight. It was almost that sort of, we're going to act like hooligans, but we don't, you know, we're doing it for a laugh thing. And then they met the um, masked MMA fighters of the Russian fan group and, you know, people with spotters, like proper kind of people who've been training to come and fight. And it was, it was the whole thing just dissolved. I mean, they, they were people risking their necks, jumping over this massive wall to get away. But I, I, I don't know if it was, it's obviously linked in some wider way. Um, but looking back, that was a really extraordinary one-off event, which hasn't really been repeated since. Um, I don't really know what it was. It was like hysteria, really. It was... Um... Yeah, the whole thing was all a bit strange, wasn't it? And it, the whole there was there was the sort of three days or so before, and then you know the, the the actual match itself, and then a couple of days afterwards, it was all just I just found it all was really weird, and it was obviously it was all wrapped up in the the sort of the 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 back, the, you know, the what had happened after the the Paris attacks as well, which I think it it, it added a, a sort of a certain air to it as well, and I just thought the whole thing was 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 really weird in terms of sort of subsequent to that, with you know with regards to the article that you'd written and, and some other incidents as well. Do you think that the, the sort of occupying nature that, that that you referenced there and of England fans is that something that you you feel is getting worse, or is it something that's, that's sort of bubbling under the surface, really, or is the type of thing that will probably just drift out? No, it seems to be really in the culture, um, and we haven't seen it for a little while because there haven't really been away days. You know, we haven't we haven't had that for well since um, since Russia, and there weren't a lot of England fans in Russia. Um, but it, it's definitely it's it's what te- that the people who travelled to Russia were from a were a different group. It was more um, uh, a slightly older bunch, and um, it's not those those kind of day tripping lads who are really there when when it's places you can get on a cheap flight in Europe and go to. Um, and it's definitely it's definitely part of the thing, and they they're really keen to do it. You see people staking out their little bit of the town square and saying, "Right, we've got this now." Uh, in, in you know, in France, you saw shop fronts being smashed, um, just real casual damage that you wouldn't dream of doing, uh, or hopefully you wouldn't dream of doing in your own high street. But because it's abroad, 
somehow you know anything goes like this is permitted we how far can we push this and that's obviously part of the thrill I remember that Dortmund trip I talked about the first time I and I actually think that was a year before the Euros and the first, that was the first time I noticed it I remember being on on the tram going to the ground and looking around thinking there's a really there's a lot of young kids here in replica Aberall kits and things like that and I remember getting off the getting off the tram with them at the stadium and about three of them turning and just chucking beer bottles across the tracks onto the far uh, platform where they smashed and then then just walking on and there's something so shocking in seeing someone do that because you got a bit used to the fact that England fans tended to be quite middle-aged and quite well behaved and then it was just this total kind of can we do this yeah yeah we're going to do it total wanton violence you know this very nice well-organized German stadium and uh, that that was the moment I really sort of saw it coming back. Do you think um because you're talking there obviously about a sort of younger generation of fans do you think there's an element of it that's you know they're trying to get accepted by the you know maybe there's some of the the older lads that they're maybe maybe harking back to a time when when the you know there was a little bit more you know in equity aggro with the match that they, they they maybe feel as though they missed out on yeah there's definitely a kind of nostalgia element to it it's it's, it's like the thing it's this sort of youth tribe thing you know you get people dressing up as mods or or you know whatever it's kind of a tribute to that culture um i i don't i mean the, the people that you're talking about i mean you still see them around the old sort of hooli ties but quite a lot of them now run like a successful plumbing company in essex and they've got quite a lot of money but they go out on these trips and stay in nice hotels but they still got the same tattoos and all that kind of stuff and those a lot of those guys are actually quite frightening um and you, you wouldn't want to get in a cab with them necessarily Whereas, yeah, these younger ones, it is a bit of a tribute. Uh, and you're not quite sure where it comes from, how far they're willing to push it. It wouldn't surprise me to see genuine violence happen again. Um, and I do remember it from the first time. If only because we're, um, there's a lot of weird things going on in the country at the minute. And there's a lot of disaffected, alienated people. And particularly like, this summer, I mean, people are, people are going to start running out of money. There's going to be a, a lot of weirdness on the streets, I think, by the time we get to, to June and July when we, we have a football tournament here. I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen again. Yeah, I think that's really true. It's it's almost like a... Um, it's and, and you've also got added into the mix that people have been sort of cooped up for a long time as well, haven't they? And will feel the need to kind of express themselves, so to speak. Um, in, in that article that we talked about, there, there's a... You make a comparison between the sort of the more overt racist chants by the Bulgarian fans. I suppose that brought kind of the whole thing to a head in a way. It it, it, it was um, it was obviously quite shocking to watch it on the television. But there's also obviously the element of England fans singing the things about the Pope and and German bombers and that type of thing. Do you think it is one worse than the other? I know that's that's quite a difficult question to answer, yay or or nay. But is is one worse than the other? Yeah, no, it's not difficult to answer that question. Of course, one is worse than the other. I mean, the the IRA is not an ethnic group. Um, the IRA is a terrorist group that bombs and murders people. And if people want to say, fuck the IRA, I kind of agree with them. Uh, if you were singing, uh, you know, fuck black people, that would be a bit different. Mm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that the IRA is, is a race. Um, and that there's a question, there's a, there's a point to, question of degree and everything similarly the pope is not a disadvantaged uh, minority group 
it's not punching down. I mean, a, a racist chance towards an ethnic minority that doesn't have any power is obviously much worse um, than people who, to be honest, uh, would probably run a million miles if they met the IRA um, saying that they don't like the IRA. So I don't, I, don't, I mean, it, saying that the IRA is necessarily, in my mind, anti-Irish. I think a lot of Irish people don't like the IRA either. Um, almost all Irish people, in fact. Um, but but there is, I'd say it's more um, the, the, it's more the attitude that goes with it. The fact that it's overtly threatening towards people. The fact that I think that the people singing those songs probably take them as anti-Irish. Probably don't necessarily analyse what they're what they're saying in the same way. They're not they're not literally saying we we disapprove of this particular political group um and it is threatening and it is menacing um but i would say that what happened in bulgaria was on another level um although there is even some part of me that feels that possibly those people in bulgaria who are chanting those things uh, it's like traveling back in time and that kind of thing is is probably a lot more worrying if you actually know any black people or any many black people actually live in your city. I think a lot of that just comes out of parroted ignorance and I'm sort of making excuses for those people. It doesn't make it any better. But you know, the same thing happened in, in Britain in the 80s, really overt racism. And it is something that, that tends to, to be based in ignorance. Um, but that night in Bulgaria was really, really horrible. That was really shocking, and everyone was very upset by it. Why do you think this type of thing seems to get attached to? I feel like, and this may be that may not be correct, but it feels like it it gets attached to football more than it does to other sports. Is that just because football is kind of the most popular sport in a lot of these countries? Yeah, I mean, football is the only thing, um, apart from I guess politics, that has dedicated journalists following it around. It's the only thing where people get together in public and shout wherever they want and, and where there's this kind of group thing going on. It's, it's nothing to do with football. I mean, football's just a piece of grass with uh, two netted squares at the end. It's nothing to do with the thing we call football. It's that this is public expression. Um, and it, there's no other arena where it happens, where it gets recorded. But whenever people say a football has a problem with, with racism, um, it just it's just a, an absurd statement. Um, yes, that's true, but um, football is society and society is football. You can't divorce the two things. It's a way of washing your hands. You know, you, you'll hear Boris Johnson tell you there's a problem in football. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, where do you think that comes from, Boris? From, <laughs> from the conditions you've created and from the, um, the openly hostile policies of your government you know to, to to isolate that into football it reminds me of the way the um the christian bible you know invented the devil the devil was invented as this repository of all evil it's so much easier to understand evil if you say that it exists in one place oh, if we could only get rid of the devil no no one will be evil anymore that's how people talk about football whereas quite obviously uh, it's a reflection of something that's within every every human and with every person people don't become people leave football grounds you know they don't live there they walk out into society and all those things are still within them um so football is probably the place it does most to try and spread messages that these things are unacceptable if only because you know they will happen loudly within these premises so i'm still clinging to the idea that football's a force for good 
and not bad and that these problems are society's problems yeah i think i would tend to agree with you and it's something that we've discussed quite a lot on this podcast is about the 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 you know the, almost the sort of misrepresentation of, of football in that it, it it does something that, that generally speaking tries to tackle things that are social ills head on and a lot of those things are sort of that we talk about in particular linked to like mental health and, and masculinity and, and and that type of stuff and i suppose with this as much as anything else with football fandom a lot of that is linked into to sort of masculinity and and, and perceived issues with with the way that men sort of treat one another and, and and behave whilst with one another do you feel like men are more enticed by this type of behavior because of those sort of perceived ideas around masculinity and when i say this type of behavior that kind of mob mentality that kind of you know faux aggression yeah of course um uh it's um i mean you know i have two sons i'm a man myself you know i i know i you know there's something about being a man i don't know if it's biological it's to do with testosterone i don't know if it's to do with just that kind of feeling of being together in a group that tends to draw you towards um certain modes of behavior and i don't know if i don't know if it's unhealthy to express that or healthy to express that and so you know at times there's a part of me that thinks if you can go somewhere and uh shout as loud as you want behave in a completely unacceptable manner in a really menacing frame then you're better off doing that on a football terrace than anywhere else. And frankly, if you can just locate all that behaviour quite harmlessly around a bunch of other idiotic blokes doing the same thing, then it, it's kind of it's kind of there. We we what do we want people to do? How do we want them to be? Do we want them to erase this impulse from their personalities? Because I, I don't see that happening. Um, human beings have been a certain way for for quite a long time. Um, and in a way, I often feel like there might be something cathartic about if you can harmlessly discharge these emotions. Obviously, that's nothing to do with threatening behaviour and unpleasant behaviour that reinforces prejudices. And you know, I'd never include that in it. But if we're talking about shouting and uh, uh, taking your shirt off and whirling it around your head, then sometimes I think that might actually be healthy. I've never actually been to watch England, Barney, but I do tend to watch most of the games on the television. And there's a there's a stark difference in those atmospheres we've discussed when they play at Wembley. It feels very juvenile and uh, quite friendly atmosphere compared to that uh, sort of away day or tournament experience that we've just discussed. Do you think from those who travel away, there's almost a, an air of entitlement from them or a, a sense of resentment that we're the true fans who follow England all the way? So we can kind of behave how we behave. They use it as justification. Yeah, definitely. And Wembley is definitely different. It's, um, it's sort of like being at the ideal home exhibition or a Cliff Richard concert. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's families and it's kids and people leave 20 minutes before the end or leave once they've seen a goal. It's, um, it's very different. Whereas when you go away, there is that group mentality. There's a, there's a feeling of, right, we're here, we've done this. It's, it's two totally different crowds. And the, the away fan mentality definitely sort of self-reinforcing. You know, uh, everybody's going to act like this. And uh, you can feel it kind of edges itself on a little bit further. Um, it's, it's definitely a very different group of people. 
And I suppose for those tournaments, future tournaments, future away games, it's going to be hard for, for England and potentially other nations to, to diversify the type of people that are coming to watch because I suppose safety in the first instance, people just would not feel safe taking a child, potentially taking a female partner with them to, to, to those type of atmospheres. Yeah, it's really weird when the two forms of England fandom uh, overlap. I've seen, I've seen loads of people with crying children at England away games, or outraged, or kind of shielding them from the crowd. Um, that it doesn't mix well, and and it is, um, it is exclusively, no, it's not exclusively male, but it's very heavily male dominated, um, and very conscious of itself as being male dominated, and. I know a lot like different groups of England fans. I know some of them have tried to sort of present a different atmosphere to make it sort of jollier and more inclusive and all that kind of stuff. But the bass note is quite aggressive. Uh, it's about walking in a certain way, slightly threatening way, or, or t taking control of the autobahn that sort of way. And yeah, it's it can be quite opaque and hard to penetrate for for new people, definitely. When you go to watch England, is it always with a work cap on or do you follow as, as a fan? And Do you enjoy watching England abroad? Um, it's always as a work thing. Uh, but yeah. you, you, mix, you mix with the fans, you get on the same planes, the same trains, you know, you're in the same hotels. So you're very aware of what's happening. Um, uh, look, I really enjoy the games and I really enjoy the stadiums. And you do get to like the England fans as well. I like you know, for all the kind of toxic masculinity type stuff, there's also a nice masculinity about it. I like them. I quite, I find it quite funny seeing these guys. You know, they go and have a really good time. Like people are enjoying themselves. Um, they're very loyal fans. They they do create a decent atmosphere. And when it doesn't go into anything nasty, um, you know, it's it's something that the locals enjoy as well it's it's something to see people come and watch the England fans you know it's not all bad they're not all smashing things up um and they can be quite funny sometimes uh I don't I, you know it's quite it's quite hard not to be slightly seduced by it because you, you kind of everyone likes to be in a group like that um it's a kind of double-edged thing but then it's only time those times when it tips over and turns toxic that you kind of think why am I here why am I doing this why would I ever do it again yeah, absolutely. And, and as you've touched on, it's probably no different to how most away fans behave most weekends at most grounds. It's that, it's that tipping point, often fueled by alcohol as well, when uh, behaviours massively change throughout the day, the drunker people get. Do you think, in, in fairness to England as well, there's almost an, an element of they're a bit of a scalp on and off the pitch, so they do get wound up everywhere they go by, by whoever the, the locals are? Yeah, definitely by some people. That was definitely part of the Russian thing. Um, there's definitely a feeling of um, of English football hooliganism, English football fandom abroad is like an authentic brand, and and there are there are people who want a piece of it. Um, I remember being at the Den uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, there was a mistake with the away fans coming out. They went, they walked out too early. They released too early. They started walking past the Millwall calf. And a man just walked up and just smacked the first person he saw in the head. Um, he was immediately arrested, um, pinned down by the police. It turned out he was Danish. Um, he'd come on a day trip to be a Millwall fan. You know, he was, I, I want a piece of this. It's like going on an adventure holiday. I'm going to go and be a Millwall fan for a day. 
and he was there punching a, a Reading fan outside the den with a Millwall scarf <laughs> on, you know. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, yeah, top, top hooligan experience. Um, <laughs> and and that, that goes around the world. There's definitely a feeling that, you know, it's like the Beatles and the Stones, isn't it? It's something authentic. Yeah, I must admit, I remember being, um, me and Danny are both Tramier fans, and it was the last game of the season one year we were playing Hartlepool. And I don't know if you know about the Hartlepool fans dress up at the last away game every season. And there's about 400 uh, people dressed as clowns just in the away end having a great time. And there was a load of lads over from Holland watching Tramier. And I remember one of them coming up to me in the bar and saying, like, so where do we fight? Where, where does it start? Where's a kickoff? And I, I remember saying to him, they're dressed as clowns, mate. You don't need to hit any of them. <laughs> but it was just kind of his match day going experience, expecting there to be some sort of aggro. Um, <laughs> quite funny, yeah. but true of what some people expect to get out of football. It's, I mean, you go to football games and some people don't leave the bar at half time and they're not even interested in the second half. It's more about going the game than the actual football itself. Yeah. Do you think then, um, because of the way that... Um, Ultimately, it's hard to escape the politics that comes with um, international football games and what could be going on. We touched on before in society, but what could actually be going on anyway between two nations historically, that pitting them together is always going to create an atmosphere where it's can bubble over due to non-football reasons. I mean, maybe. I mean, we'll, we'll find out when, we, um, when England and Scotland uh, play in the summer. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, that might be overestimating the um, the kind of political grasp and the historical sort of uh, depth of study of most football fans. I think there's a lot of history that comes purely from football. I mean, you'll know there's teams and countries that just don't mix and it's more likely to be something localised like that. Um, certainly, I have no desire ever to go anywhere near an England-Ireland game ever. Um and I think everybody wants to prevent that from ever happening. Um, England and Scotland is actually quite friendly when I've been there. I've, I think um, England fans in particular are actually quite fond of Scottish fans and kind of quite like the whole thing. I'm not sure it's, it's, it comes back the other way from the Scots. Um, but there's always history and, and football fans do revel in that. It's part of your identity. It's part of that kind of group think thing and, and, and they'll play up to it, definitely. And in terms of, of major tournaments, what role do you think the, the media can play in exasperating the build-up to a tournament? I remember the Russian tournament, there was a lot of emphasis pre-tournament that there would be fighting. And I think we had some daft comments from a uh, Russian minister who said hooliganism should be a sport at one point as well, which got a bit out of hand. I imagine that the build-up actually put a lot of England fans off going. Um, logistically, it was an easy tournament to attend, but also I think there was a bit of fear there that this this could get nasty if it, if it gets going. Yeah, I mean, you had that fear as a journalist wandering around the cities. Um, but that was us misjudging what Russia is like. Uh, it's, a, it's a really powerful police state. Um, there was no violence at all. In fact, they arrested a lot of the people and just told them, look, you do anything where all this is going on, that's it, you're done. It was one of the most peaceful, well-policed tournaments I've ever been to because the real tough guys there <laughs> is the Russian state, not, not the hooligans. So, yeah, it was, it, was very, it was very, very safe, as it turned out. But, but you're right, the media definitely has a role to play in it. Unfortunately, um, these stories sell 
and these stories are exciting and I, I'm not just blaming the tabloid press there who might stoke this up a bit more a bit more overtly I think the broadsheets also get a kick out of it I've no doubt there's a have your cake and eat it thing about even my newspaper um sorry newspaper um reporting on these things and being outraged and you know putting a perfumed handkerchief to your nose as you write another 800 words about it because you know people are going to click on it and be outraged and and it's 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 something you can't really look away from so there's definitely a love of this stuff um whether you're willing to admit it or not people find it a thrill it's a turn on um however you, you look at it so it's definitely amplified by the media which acts in the same way i guess as these guys talking about it on their whatsapp groups or planning it you know weeks in advance everybody likes this stuff it's um it's kind of a bit of a blood sport yeah and i find that very interesting that um your experience of it because if you tuned into social media it would look like it was a bloodbath and it was pictures of england fans upside down and um, england flags upside down and all this and social media it seems to glorify the violence that you've got those fan culture type pages that get hold of any images they can and put them up first thing you can see you would have thought it was a really aggressive tournament but by the sounds of it it wasn't um what uh, russia uh, for in terms of violence and stuff yeah no it was pretty peaceful i mean you yeah. don't you don't muck around over there uh, we, we quickly realized that this place is just pleased to within an inch of its life and we felt pretty safe so just, just lastly, lastly then, do you think there are any solutions that people can do on an individual basis to, to, to help with this type of atmosphere and make it a more welcoming place? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously there are, but I, I'm not sure if people want to do that. Certainly not the people who are, who, who are enjoying acting in that slightly menacing, toxic way. I don't think from within that you're necessarily going to, get people saying I mean you, you stop doing that when you grow out of it or when it stops being a thrill or when you've had your head beaten by a Russian, <laughs> Russian nutcase um, I, I think it would be nice I mean obviously more women would make a difference um, I think um, women are less likely to find that an entertaining thing to do and more likely to water down the atmosphere a bit and also give some of those lads something else to do. Um, I, I think um, I would really like people to be aware of how that behavior affects people. Um, I don't want to stop people having a good time getting drunk, going abroad, having a laugh, but it, there is that line that you really don't have to spill over into casual violence, threatening people, vandalism. And it is, it is really brainless mob mentality um uh by all means enjoy and take a pride in it but um the uh that, that side of it that it really does bother me and, and it, it kind of makes you feel slightly ashamed it makes you slightly despise the people doing it who probably individually you'd quite like or enjoy talking to it's, it's it's that kind of mob mentality i don't know if it if you could just have someone within those groups who who tries to diffuse that if it would make a difference but um there's definitely a safe way to go about this um and and sometimes you step over that line ryan this was a a topic that, that, that you were very keen to to do on the podcast and something that you brought to our attention 
first of all, do you want to kind of give us a little bit of an idea as to why you were so curious to explore it? And also, following on from the discussions we had with Barney and, and you know, a little bit of the research that we did and, and some of the images that we've seen over the past few years, would any of that type of behaviour put you off going to an England game? Um, yeah, so so the first question, it, it's quite interesting, really. I, I think one of the reasons I wanted to discuss it was because we only really see it through the newspaper, the tabloids, the television, and from our, our own perspective as well, which which can be dangerous. So sometimes it's it's interesting to to dig a little deeper and, and really get to see what's going on behind it. We know that there can be a crowd of 10,000 people at a game and it only takes two to three to really mar the rest of them and, and tarnish everybody with the same brush by the behaviour. It only takes one person to shout a racist or homophobic comment. And this discussion around England fans abroad has been one that's bubbling under the surface for, for many, many years. And when we saw Barney's article, I thought it was really interesting because he was quite... I thought he was clever with his use of language. He often referred to the minority, which which tells you that it isn't all England fans, which I think is an important point to make to start with. But there was... What stuck out for me was the consistency of it happening. So it seemed to be something at every game. And... I like to stress on on this that sort of ties into your next question of would you like to go to an England game? Most of these incidents were happening away and they were happening away from Wembley. Um, If you watch England like I do, I I watch pretty much every game when they're on the television. I've grown up always watching England and wanting them to win. I know some people don't have that attachment to the England national team, but just from my perspective for for the purposes of this, I, I absolutely go over the top every time there's a tournament my family have always held like sort of parties where people have come around and watched tournaments so I've always been invested as a fan but I've never actually attended an England game home or away to answer your question I don't think I would really be that interested in going to Wembley it seems like a lot of expense for quite an average occasion so if there was a tournament or maybe it was a quarter final or a semi-final at Wembley or maybe a playoff qualifier where you had to win that type of scenario, but I'd have no interest in a lot of the games are kind of you'll beat Montenegro three or four nil at home and it's quite a juvenile atmosphere. You're probably paying a lot of money and just not the type of football and atmosphere I'd really want to go to. I'd much prefer to just watch it on the telly due to my location. Don't really live close to Wembley. In terms of going away with England, because it almost becomes a bit of a holiday. I probably would like that experience. If it was a tournament, I think that would be something I'd definitely be interested in. A one-off, a one-off game, not so much. But if it's in a nice city somewhere, you can you can see why people go spend two, three days in in Croatia or somewhere like that and take in a bit of football. Absolutely, I think so. That'd be great. I think for me, um, when you when you take that scenario, it's it's quite unique, really, isn't it? When you when you when you go to watch a football team, it's normally done within a few hours. You normally in and out of the city or the town that you visit, unless you make a weekend of it, and you you're literally going for the football. But when you talk about England playing in some of these these places, often lovely capital cities as well, where they are holiday destinations, you have to factor in that your dwell time in that region is greatly increased than say you're supporting your club team and you maybe have something to eat, go to the pub, go to the game, go home. So 
the opportunity for antisocial behaviour increases massively because the dwell time has has gone from maybe four or five hours to, to two, three days, sometimes longer. The biggest pastime outside of the football is drinking. So you feel like you're on holiday, often in a sunnier location in England, and you're drinking with a group of friends. I think that's the first problem. There's always going to be antisocial behaviour. And some of the scenes you see, it's just not acceptable because it's often small independent businesses that suffer. The um, smash glasses, smash window shops um, and alike. I think the biggest underlying issue to that, um, the two you have to separate, is the people that go there with the intention of causing trouble, which is the other argument which we talk, which we saw in Russia. We see at tournaments where the intention is to go there and fight and people get caught up in the middle of that. I think that this is going to be something that goes on for for generations. I don't really see how it stops. I know you've been to tournaments before, Dan. You've you've seen, I think, culturally how different countries act. So I think if you look at the Irish fans, they drink just as much as anyone else at these tournaments, but there seems to be a more fun nature about it. They don't seem interested in, in fighting anyone. It's just... You, you can go on YouTube and you can type in Irish fans singing funny songs. There's seven, eight people in the street. They have a nice atmosphere and rapport with the police. I think there is a culture to this as well. And we did talk about with Barney England being a bit of a scalp. And maybe we get a little bit defensive by that. We feel like we have to defend the country by name. And I don't know what it is, but we seem to get in trouble everywhere we go. What was your kind of experience of going to, I think you went to France, didn't you? Was it 2016? Yeah, yeah. So it was um, it was me and uh, and 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 brother Rob. The three of us went over to we spent I think we spent five days in in Paris. Um, what we kind of did was just block five days when the group stages were going on, um, and then we would just kind of figure out what we were doing when we were over there. And as I sort of said to to Barney in the in the interview, we we went to an island, Sweden, Matt. And it's interesting that you mention Ireland, really, because. So we were spent most of the day in and amongst the sort of the the uh, the island contingent, and it was very sort of jovial. It was very, um, you know, it felt it, it just felt like a kind of like a like a day out, and everyone was was having fun and and they were interacting with the Sweden fans, and there was just something really relaxed and enjoyable about it, despite the fact that they clearly wanted to win the match and they were clearly very passionate about supporting their country. Everyone just seemed to be as though they were on holiday just having a good time felt a little bit like a festival that was the kind of atmosphere that it felt like and then England played Wales while we were there which we watched in the fan park which was underneath the Eiffel Tower and that was also an incredible experience but it was a vastly different experience as I as I sort of mentioned to Barney but I do remember the night before that match uh, France were playing I think it was Albania and France won 2-0 and we watched that match in the in the fan park as well. Before we went into the fan park for that game, we went for something to eat at a restaurant that was just outside, um, just outside where the entrance to to the fan park was. And we were sat in this in this restaurant, and over the road from the restaurant was like a bar, and there were loads of um, there were loads of England fans. I say England fans. There was English people with their shirts off, um, you know, St George's flags hung up just chanting and shouting stuff at people as they were walking past. And 
it was interesting because I didn't really think about it at the time. But when Barney was talking about the age profile of the people that are, that, that are at these matches, they were very um, young. This group of fans, and it was just bizarre because we'd been there for like a few days at that point, and there was people from all kinds of different countries that were there. You know, the Portuguese people, Spanish people, German people. There were French people, obviously, in the, in the in and around the fan parks as well. Um, I think there were there were some Albanians there as well, Austria, Switzerland. There were just loads of different types of people there, and it was everyone was kind of acting in the same way as I say it was very sort of festival like and people were enjoying themselves but it was just this random group of England fans who were all about 18, 19 who were just behaving like an absolute I don't even know what it was it was just bizarre and it looked really weird compared to whatever else was going on and people were kind of just avoiding them like the plague but yeah that was one thing that stuck with me that I just thought was really really peculiar about the whole experience Do you think any of this stand because I've thought of this while you talked about Ireland there, and this isn't to be derogatory of Ireland, but often when Ireland gets to tournaments, they they're almost happy to be there in a way. Yeah. I, I remember Roy Keane slighting them because they sang all game once when they went out in the tournament. Then if it was Spain or somebody, they were well beaten. Yeah, they lost four nil, didn't they? And and you know what you look to thinking? There's people who who've spent hard day in cash. They're, they're they're away from home. They're enjoying the weekend. And fair play to them. They shouldn't just sit there. They know they're going out at this stage. And Roy Keane battered them for it, which I thought was wrong. Do you think a lot of England's aggression might ultimately be tied to our failure? Possibly. I think there's a bit of a sense of entitlement with it. And I think there's a, an idea that you know we're well, we're England, so you know we should be this or we should be that. I don't really know where it comes and from, to be look, perfectly honest with you. But if you look at this tournament just gone, this is a lot of people in my generation, sort of um, under the age of 30. This was one of our most enjoyable tournaments ever when we got to the mm. semi-finals. And if you looked at the reaction of the fans at the end, even in the stadiums, how they, they stayed in the pod, the people back home, I remember being going up for a night out in Liverpool and it was buzzing. There did seem to be almost like a, a nicer feel to that tournament. Yes. Ultimately pinned to our success at that tournament. And if you remember the tournament before, I think Iceland knocked us out yeah. when the players tried to clap that away end. And it was it was like anything when like you support your club team and you're not doing well, it was absolutely toxic. Mm. And I can't imagine the streets around that ground after we were dumped out were very pleasant place to be around uh, as the England fans left the stage. But there was almost a sense of pride this year. So uh, Imagine it as it says in the song, it was obviously 30 years of pain when the song came out. It's now yeah. basically 50. But um yeah, I think the better the teams do, and hopefully would have an impact on the reaction of those supporting them. Yeah, I mean I've said that before on in, in other episodes. I think it kind of comes down to I think um football fans are too you know, it's easy to say take it too seriously, but I do think there is an, an element of like you know, I get that idea of you've you know you've committed time and money and and, and emotion and, and emotional investments in these things, but I do think people lose perspective on what it is that they're going for. Like, what is the point of being a football fan? You know, you you do it. It's for enjoyment. It's something that you're supposed to enjoy. And I think, particularly with England, people lose way too much perspective about how important it is, whether they they win or lose. It was amazing the summer of 2018. It was amazing. I think everyone would agree it was such a positive experience to be involved with. You know, as much back here as it probably was over in Russia. But I think for for, for for fans who've seen us in in tournaments be disappointing you know it is disappointing and, and i think it's disappointing because we all knew that if the england team got it right that we would harness that positive energy in in that way that we saw it in 2018 
And there's almost an element of wanting to have that enjoyment that causes people to be more angry about it because ultimately we've won one major tournament in the entire history of international football. And yet for some reason that leads people to think that we should be winning every single tournament. So I just think it's, 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 um, yeah, I think it's just losing a bit of a sense of perspective, really. Just enjoy it. If we're not very good, we're not very good. Does it really matter that much? I don't think so. You know, it's 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 nice when they are good. I don't think it matters so much when they don't. And I think just reiterating that is is important. But I do think there is a difference between that and some of the behaviour that we see abroad because it's very Brits abroad, isn't it? It doesn't. It's not just an England fans thing. It's very much the way that a lot of British people behave abroad, almost like. Well, I'm abroad and I'm on holiday and I've paid to be here so I can do whatever I want. I mean, I remember being on holiday once in Turkey and there was a lad who was stood at the bar next to me and he was literally just smoking and blowing his cigarette smoke into the waiter's face. And when I said, why are you doing that? He was like, oh, well, I've paid me money to be here. I can do whatever I want. And I was just a bit like, what a bizarre attitude to have. Like, yeah. what a really, really peculiar thing to say. Um, he was wearing a Man United shirt. I don't know what that says about Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on um on this as well. What I what I would say is there's there's a lot of people who, who and Barney referenced this. There are a lot of people who follow England who are good people and, and yeah. behave and they, they go and they watch the football. And I think another thing on top of that is I think Southgate's been very good for English football. He's always had a calmness about him for for these issues that have come up. I think he's always supported his players. There's obviously what happened in Bulgaria was was disgusting. And there was a sense of togetherness there to, to take that head on where he was led yeah. by the players' emotions. Do you want to leave the field? I'll support you. Do you want to stay on the pitch? Then we'll stay on the pitch. And um, I think it's good to have somebody at the helm like that because whenever there's been incidents around England fans, I don't think he's tried to to just blindly defend them either. I think Southgate somebody who remains quite level-headed on these topics and I think that's quite good for English football. Yeah, I agree, 100%. And I think it, it, he leads by example, doesn't he? And I think he's he doesn't get too up when it's when it's when it's good, and doesn't get too down when it's bad. Um, so, but he but he feels as though he kind of understands the 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 importance of the national team to people who support it, and 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 that's good and bad, I suppose, as well. But he, he he's realistic with the things that he says generally. Um, not picking Trent Alexander-Arnold was weird, but, you know, we won't hold too much <laughs> against them at this stage. Uh, I'm going to wrap us up there, Ryan. Thank you very much for for your time, as usual, today, mate. It was um, That was a really enjoyable interview to do with with Barney, and, and, and Barney's going to come back on and do a full interview at some point in the next few months, so that'll be something for us to, for look, to look forward to. Uh, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us, as usual. If you have enjoyed today's episode, um, we would greatly appreciate it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, give us a a five-star review and a, and a rating that would be absolutely fantastic it just helps us to grow the podcast and and reach new listeners and if you do want to interact with us at all you can find us on twitter at marking underscore man and don't forget to use that hashtag where's the talking lads so thank you for listening and um, we'll be back again on monday on monday we'll be doing uh, another interview that interview will be with uh sports psychologist dan abrahams so that was an incredibly insightful uh, conversation that we had with Dan so well worth looking forward to so we'll see you on Monday with, with Dan Abrahams thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time